Welcome back to episode two of the Drinking and Thinking podcasts. Brian, Dylan, and CJ here. And uh, we're going to keep on going with some more kind of uh, unpacking how we uh, relate to alcohol well as Christians. So this episode is kind of jokingly, but not so jokingly called Points on Pints. So we just kind of want to unpack some of like the theological points that we think are important when wrestling with how we relate to alcohol. So guys, some Points on Pints, what's kind of the vision for how do we think about alcohol well? Yeah, so some of the stuff we're covering now, we, we've hinted at a little bit in the scriptural, so um, some of those things we'll, we'll mention again, but won't linger a lot on. But, but some are definitely unique, so, some are. so keep listening if you hear yeah. a repeat of it. Um, the first one is just the reaffirmation that alcohol is good. It's a good. Uh, again, like when we saw, when we unpacked John 2, that, that Christ authorizes this as a good. We see it in the Old Testament as a good. It is foreshadowed uh, in Christ's life and, and foretold that the the wedding feast of the lamb that there is going that the kingdom of god is is a place of uh celebration festivity that in, it involves wine i mean christ even so much as uh initiated his feast the communal feast the communion with with wine so alcohol is a good so no biblical approach to alcohol is going to begin with some sort of um unequivocal condemnation it's not going to begin by looking at it as an evil it, it begins by an affirmation that it's good yeah, related to that would be a second point on pints here and other alcoholic beverages. It doesn't just pertain to pints of beer, but would be that alcohol is good, but alcohol is good, but. And because I think w- one thing that's important to realize about any good thing is that it has its limits. Mm-hmm. Sex is a good thing, it is a gift, you know, in the same way that alcohol is a gift. These are unique gifts, but, but sex has its limits. God and the scriptures have defined you know, for us that that sexuality, sexual expression is meant to be within marriage. Uh, and, and even within marriage, there's there's limits and mm-hmm. times that in which it's appropriate or not appropriate. And so the same with alcohol is it is a good, but it is not an all out and 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 you know, always a good. You know, like any gift, if you misuse it, it, it destroys it. I mean, if you you somebody gives you a car for a gift, your parents give you a car and you take that thing out to the lake for the week. Weekend. I mean, you, you destroy the gift. So gifts are meant to be enjoyed, yes, but they're meant to be enjoyed in the way that they were designed. And so I, I think, again, alcohol is a good, absolutely. But we need to make sure that that there's a but there as well, uh, that, that we, we enjoy the good within some limits. And it's important to talk about these boundaries because um, most of the time when we're tempted to do something, we're not just tempted to do something that's bad. What we're tempted to do is to take something good and use it in mm-hmm. the wrong way. So mm-hmm. we're not just focusing on the boundaries around alcohol because alcohol is this, this horrible thing, but because the temptations that, that Satan offers us with everything, not just with alcohol, are almost always to take something good, enjoy it too much, or enjoy it more than God, to disorder, put out of order the things that that we can use that are good. That's a great point. And I think even to go back, just that not all gifts have a one-to-one comparison. Chocolate and alcohol, you can't really kind of wrestle with them the same way. You don't see, I think we have this written somewhere, that you don't see, you know, chocoholics destroying families. It's just not, that's not an issue with chocolate. And so there is kind of this, you know, you can't compare one-to-one. You have to wrestle with, well, alcohol is a unique Mm -hmm. gift with unique boundaries and unique questions around it. 
Yeah, coffee. I mean, I, I'm not a coffee drinker, but you know, for the people who are, you know, I know that it's like, hey, man, they they really love their coffee. Three o'clock rolls around, they they need to make a run to Starbucks. So, you know, people who struggle with coffee addiction and it may well be a full on addiction that that it doesn't destroy families. And so, so we just need to recognize this is a this is a it's a gift, but it can have some really really mm-hmm. serious consequences. Yeah. I mean, if you misuse chocolate, as you say, uh, you know, you may get some cavities. Yeah, you, or a growing waistline. That's right. You, <laughs> But you misuse you misuse alcohol, then then it can really start to be uh, really start to be dangerous. But you know, I think this starts to get us into one of the bigger points I want us to discuss here with points on pints, and it's this enormous word. And again, I hope so much of this conversation helps you beyond alcohol. If you only listen to this and think, okay, great, uh, CSF is helping me think through alcohol, then then you ah oh, that that we've in not totally waste our time, but we've missed great opportunities Mm -hmm. because I want people to really learn to live in a deep, uh, wise way, in this path of wisdom that Jesus calls us to. And so, uh, you know, CJ, I don't know, kick us off on that, uh, on the point. What what would you say about how the scripture challenges us to live wisely in relationship to alcohol? I mean, it's an enormous conversation here, but but let's try to tackle some of it. Yeah, I think the the two things which come to my mind in this conversation are— we're called to live wisely by learning how to discern when and how it's okay to drink and then opening up our lives to other people for them to be able to encourage us and to challenge us when they see patterns that are unhelpful. So discernment and accountability. Mm -hmm. It is not always okay to drink. Alcohol is good, but it is not always okay to drink. This is even the case in scripture. Paul gives us uh, instructions for, hey, look, there are contexts when it's not okay to do things that normally are permissive right? You have to lay down your freedoms and your rights for the sake of another person. So part of being wise is learning to look at a situation rightly and figure out, is this the right time to drink? Can I drink here in the right way? Learning how to discern um, when and where and how to drink. And then even before that, learning to discern if you need to drink. Some people, some people don't. Some people don't need to drink based on you know family history, past abuses with alcohol. Your discernment process might be I don't need to drink at all. What is wise for me is to to not drink at all. So discernment, I think, is kind of the first major key point in uh, in living wisely. And then accountability, opening up your life, opening up your your behaviors, your your thoughts, um, what you do with your time and with your money, opening it up to a community for them to be able to to look at it and to help shepherd you. I mean, part of the Christian life is I mean, you're you're discipled. You're opening up your life to the authority of another person who in many ways you're entrusting your soul to them because they can they can look at you and help you in ways that maybe you can't do yourself. You know, when I lived at the Grand Canyon, which I did one summer in college, there were these, you know, park rangers all around. And one of the things the park rangers would do, because they'd be kind of stationed up on the rim of the canyon a lot of times and, and answering questions, kind of giving tours, whatever. But one of the things they did is they helped people discern how can they enjoy the canyon rightly? Because a lot of people come, they go, man, it's the Grand Canyon. The, the river's way down there. I'm, I'm going to go for a river hike. And the, the you know, the, the park rangers going, well, I mean, let me just give you some warnings. If you're not used to this kind of physical exercise, you know, if you're not used to maybe, you know, heat, all these other factors, then maybe here's some other alternatives. Here's some ways you can enjoy the canyon, but maybe you don't need to go all the way to the bottom and try to hike back up because this thing that's good, this thing's meant to be enjoyed, it, it could destroy you. I mean, there are people who die uh, on on hikes in the canyon mm-hmm. because uh, because they don't follow appropriate boundaries. And so uh, that the that the park ranger set up, and the way I would, the reason I bring that up is to say, uh, there's different ways. I know at 
it, even at my age then, when I was living in the Canyon, I was, what, 20? I was just going to return 21. I was in great physical shape, uh, believe it or not, and uh, could, you know, I, I could just, you know, hike all day long. And and uh, I could go on really long hikes, and it didn't, didn't bother me at all. I mean, 20-mile hike in a day, you know, I could I could pull that off, uh, you know. But it was, uh, but now I, I would think very differently about it because you have to understand context. You have to understand lots of different things about yourself, about the situation, all these other things to live wisely, to mm-hmm. hike wisely, understand yourself, understand the context. And so when it comes to drinking, understanding context is a part yep. of wisdom. I remember I had had some friends, some group of roommates here. I didn't get married till I was uh, in my early 30s, so a lot of different roommates over the years. And I was living with a group of guys, and we we had a, a friend. I, for many years, because my personal context is multiple generations of addiction. And I know myself, I have an addictive personality. Man, I just, I, I can get really into things. I, I heard a someone I was prepping, listening to a pastor saying, he said, hey, I choose to abstain from alcohol. This pastor was saying this. He said, I don't I don't require that of every my church, leaders, anything. But he said, I do. Because he said, I buy a pack of gum, and in five minutes, the whole pack's gone. I know about my personality. I'll just pop a piece of gum, piece of gum, piece of gum. He's like, it's one thing. I may get a cavity with gum. Alcohol, a whole other thing. And so learn to live wisely. Be honest about yourself. And these these roommates of mine, so I had to abstain from alcohol together, but some of them drank. I never saw those guys drunk, never once, never even bordered on being drunk, never even crossed my mind that they maybe were drunk because they they were totally responsible. We had a guy that was moving in our house and uh, he had college, as for so many people, addictive behaviors often start in college. College is where he really got sideways. Well, after, you know, in, even, even before he got out of college, he wound up going through a recovery program, was part of AA, and and one day I came home right before he moved in with us, and I see uh, my roommates who were drinking. Again, guys never been drunk. They're pouring out their alcohol in the sink. And, and it hadn't occurred to me. I hadn't even thought about it because I didn't drink with them or whatever. But I said, hey, what are you guys doing? And they said, well, well, our buddy Sam, not his real name, Sam's getting ready to move in. Uh, he doesn't need to be around alcohol here in the house. Hmm. And I just had so much respect for those guys because they recognize the context of, hey, this guy's coming in to live with us. This has been a deep struggle for him. We don't need to enjoy that that freedom, that freedom for us could be really crippling for him. So the wisdom for them was, hey, we can go out and have a beer at a restaurant or whatever, but we're not going to have this around the house where he may be laying there in his bed in the middle of the night thinking, gosh, that alcohol is just 10 feet away. I could go out and have a drink. No one would notice. I love the wisdom that they showed because they understood the context. And, and for me, as I mentioned too, I think one of the other things is history, personal history, understanding yourself, understanding, do you have an addictive personality? Ha- have you abused alcohol in your past? Have your parents abused alcohol? You know, all those kinds of questions that wisdom asks us to uh, to ask, to ask of ourselves, mm-hmm. to ask of others. So I think just wisdom requires just being really smart to ourselves and the things around us. Yeah. So I think wisdom in this context is, and what we're trying to hammer home is that a right wise approach to alcohol is not one that just gives blanket prohibitions, but it's also not one that just gives wide open doors with, with no, um, with no restrictions at all that a wisely approached um, use of alcohol is one where you're discerning if it's right and when it's right. And this isn't a process that stops with alcohol and it could be anything. Should I be using social media? Well, maybe it's not wise to do a blanket prohibition or just open the doors wide open, but to think, oh, how am I using it? Why am I using it? Is this the right time to use it? Am I using it in the right way? The the discernment process that falls under this rubric of wisdom applies to so much more than alcohol. And that's why we want to put it in the the discussion about alcohol because it's more of a general ethic that's trying to guide us here. And this is this is why that we just emphasize so strongly the reading of scripture. I mean, we're we're going to be followers of Jesus. Jesus himself 
studied scripture. When the devil came and tempted Jesus, you know, what did Jesus do? Three different times when the devil came, he tempted, mm-hmm. he tempted Jesus. Jesus quoted scripture, quoted from Deuteronomy three different times. He quotes the, he quotes the Bible to the devil. And so I think for us to have our lives formed, to deal with temptations, to be formed in strong ways, we need to study scripture. And so that is a key part of wisdom. Yeah. And one of the things that we see in scripture when alcohol is talked about is that it's almost always talked about or presented in a kind of celebratory manner, that that alcohol is meant to be used when used rightly to add life to the party. It When it's used as a good, it's used moderately to help relationships deepen. The, the two big things that we see with alcohol in this celebratory mode is that alcohol is always used in a, in a positive life-giving way in scripture. It's never used as an escape from reality. It's never used as a, 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 a numbing uh, agent to, to make us not feel bad. We never... It's never shown as is helping people when they're depressed to feel better, to escape from their lives. It's always used as a sign of the celebration of the kingdom. And it's always used with other people too. The feasts are what are emphasized in Christ. Christ turned water into wine at a wedding, a celebration feast. Um, and the, the celebration of the lamb is going to be a feast. The parable of, of the feasts is, is involving wine. It's all communal. So practically, what does this mean? It means when you're using wine or you're using alcohol rightly, it is something which is meant to add life, which you can do in, in certain contexts with, you know, one glass of wine or one beer. But I think, you know, as you've told me before, Marshall, one, you can add a little bit of life sometimes with one beer, but once you get six, you're not adding anything anymore. You, you know, you're, you're taking life away. And yeah, similarly, yeah. When, when you're off drinking alone, you're not drinking in a way that is consistent with the biblical ethic, where this is meant to help you deepen relationships with others, to enjoy the company and, and, a meaningful conversation and company of another person. Yeah. And I think what's really important too, is with celebration, we can't just assume that our versions of celebration equals the kingdom version of celebration. So Mm -hmm. when we say celebration, we probably think of like a house party with it, with like, you know, a keg or something like that, or someone's made hooch in their, you know, big cooler or something that may not be a kingdom celebration. So when we talk about feasting and celebrating, we can't just assume that my buddy's house party with everyone over is equal to that. Yeah, getting blasted with a bunch of strangers at yeah. Two Keys after a UK win probably doesn't fall under the rubric of a, a biblical celebration. Yeah, and, and just to, I want to make sure we're always balanced that we're, because this is such a fine line. I mean, uh, we, we want to not avoid either extreme as, you know, we're talking about celebration, but let's also make sure, again, we always hold intention that, that there's some real warning about scripture. Yep. I mean, I, I had a friend of mine who was a alcohol researcher, had a PhD. Uh, he did all kinds of research in alcohol, ran an alcohol research lab where other people would come and drink. And, and he wound up losing his job, he wound up getting fired because alcohol took over his life. And, uh, you know, I just want to make sure that we do recognize, as the Bible does, that that this is a dangerous thing. I want to make sure we always hold that in some tension. Not that we have to live in total fear, but we need to live in a sober reality that this is, and, and that pun was intended, sober reality. That's but, good. But, but we need to live in sober reality that this this can have a particular, you know, particularly dangerous, you know, impact on our lives, particularly for, for young people. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to make sure because I know when we wrestled with, you know, what what does a drinking policy look like around CSF? And we were going back and forth and some of some older staff one of our, our staff, you know, 29, he's married and uh, he's got a few years of alcohol, you know, kind of relationship to alcohol, healthy drinking in his life. And, you know, the policy was starting to look like, and one of the other people in the room said, hey, I think this is a great policy for you because you're 29 married. Your life's a little different than a 21-year-old. And because a 21-year-old, I mean, your brain, if you are just in, you know, 21, 22, 
I mean, brain development is still happening to probably somewhere around the age of 25. So you are literally still shaping. You're alive and, and you, you have time to, to figure out in the long haul what an appropriate relationship with alcohol looks like for you. And so whether that's total abstinence or whatever, but if you rush into this, I mean, it can get a hold of you and, and last a really long time. So I just want to make sure that people, especially young people, realize, hey, I don't need to establish what drinking looks like at 50 for me because right. that may look different than it does at 21. So I, I would, would exercise even more moderation for people at a younger age than a later age. Yeah, the reality is um, if, if someone is going to move on how much they drink as they get older, it's probably more likely that they're going to drink more the older they get. So when you are young, recognizing that you're setting initial habits that might get looser as you're older, you want to start setting your your guardrails a little further from the edge of drunkenness and dependency than, than you might if you were 35 or, or 40. Yeah. Um, and so this idea of setting guardrails is is very important. We're not setting up new rules, but I mean, if, if the cliff here is drunkenness, and we know that's the clear line in the sand where, where sin happens... What we're trying to do, if you're wise, not because it's sinful to cross this, but because it's wise to not get close to the edge. I mean, the reality is humans, we we jump the guardrails every now and then, but when you've set the guardrail far enough back from the ledge, if, if you've jumped the guardrail once and someone in your life can call you for it and say, hey, you need to kind of reorient here, you've still not fallen into sin. You've stayed far enough from the guardrail the, or for the, from the cliff that you're not going to fall into sin. So trying to set up meaningful guardrails around our lives, that's what wisdom is, not as a way to be legalistic or um, you know, to say that it's sin if you cross them, but because it's wise to not approach the cliff. Yeah, I think one of the things we want to make sure here too, as we talk about points to consider, is the prophetic witness of a place like CSF on campus. Is I never want CSF to be known as the oh we think we're great because we don't drink sort of place, and because we totally saying. But I also want to make sure people know like hey these people are committed to living sober lives, uh, and and you can be sober and have a drink. But but I want to make sure that, and that's why again we want to err on the edge of saying hey you know what I don't want to do anything. And Scripture clearly teaches us that would give people a chance to look in and go, oh, CSF, there's a bunch of drunks. They say they're this way, but they're, they're, they don't believe what the Bible teaches. They're not living that out. I, our prophetic witness to campus is, is very powerful because this is such a destructive thing that people misuse that even our good use may lead people to think, ah, oh, too far. So let's just make sure that we we leave room to be, to be extra careful, that we don't leave any room for people to, and I'm not saying a million, oh, I saw him having a beer. Clearly he was drunk. I'm not saying that, mm-hmm. but I am saying, let's just leave some real careful room room that that we don't give room for people to say csf they're they're just a bunch of you know drunks over there and i think the final thing that that we want to talk about quickly here is is fasting The, the church has always insisted that there have to be periods where you give things up in order to make sure your heart is oriented to the right place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that fasting in a wise uh, approach to alcohol is not is not even punitive. It's not saying like you've done something wrong, so now you can't have it, but it's meant to be preventative. By giving it up for an extended period of time, you're telling God, hey, my heart is not set on this thing. It's set on you. And it's an honest check. It's a, it it's a, it's a gut check, a reality check. If you can't fast from something, whatever it is, for a period of time, then that thing probably has, yeah. unless it's like just food or air or whatever— 
then that thing maybe has an unusual hold that it shouldn't have on you. And so I think fasting, I know Matt Dipier, a longtime CSF staff member said, hey, he will have, he drinks, you know, one day a week. That's kind of his fasting day on Sunday, actually. So feasting day, feasting day for him. And, but then, uh, yeah, feast on Sunday. But then he says, I take Lent and Advent are two extended, extended periods that he will take mm-hmm. off just because I want to make sure that I, this thing is not getting his family. There's some, there's some issues in his family past that, that uh, Matt's been open with and, and to say, Hey, I need to make sure this doesn't have an inappropriate place in my life. So if you're a leader listening to this too, I would just say, Hey, when you ascend the ladder of leadership, you descend the ladder of rights. That's just the way leadership works. If you don't want to be a leader, if you don't like that, then don't be a leader in any way, shape or form, whatever context you're in. When you're a leader, the, the call is just higher. And so if you're a leader listening to this, I think all the more you got to ask questions. What does an appropriate relationship with, with alcohol look like? How do I manifest leadership in, in a good way here? Yeah. And am I considering what I want to do more than I'm considering who I'm leading? That's great. Yeah. And so this has been kind of like just the little toe dip of kind of all of the robust kind of thoughtful conversations and topics we want to hit. So we have more written material that, that you'll be able to see if you're a leader with CSF. But in the next episode, we'll be moving on to talking about kind of the numerics, the nuts and bolts of our actual policy. But stick around. It's going to be great. Yeah.